We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2, and you have an outline printed before you on the announcement sheet. You also have the passage printed uh, before you as well. You've probably all seen the movie uh, Soul Surfer. If you haven't seen the movie Soul Surfer, it's about a girl, young girl, by the name of Bethany Hamilton, whose dream and goal in life is to become a surfer at a world-class level. When she was 15 years old, she was surfing off the coast of Hawaii, and she was floating on a board, talking with her good friend, Alana Blanchard. And as she describes it, she says that she was laying on her belly on a surfboard with her arms dangling down beside her, when suddenly she feels a tug on her left arm. These were her words. She said, you know what it's like when you bite a piece of steak and it's tough and you have to jerk it? She said, that's what it was like. And she said, she looks down at her left arm and there's a pool of blood. And she realizes then that she's been bitten by a shark. She can't feel her left arm. The shark has taken her arm off all the way up to the shoulder. The bite in the board indicated that the shark was a six to eight foot tiger shark. And here's the most amazing, fascinating thing of of it all. You know what she said? She said there wasn't even a ripple. And I tell you that story uh, this evening to let you know that there is a fin in the water here tonight. And there isn't even a ripple. And it will tear the Christian limb from limb. So much so that the person sitting next to you is mauled and you don't even know it. What is it? It's apathy. It's the, nah, whatever. Is it really that big a deal? Attitude that is so pervasive in our world and in our culture and particularly on the college campus. And I want to argue tonight that it is the number one killer of spiritual growth and faith. Friends, people who shipwreck their faith, they don't just wake up one morning and decide that they no longer believe in Jesus. Or they don't shipwreck their faith by making one single wrong decision in their life that just kind of sends them to a bad place. Instead, what happens is they drift away from it. And slowly but surely, they end up in a place that they never thought they would be. You see, that is what's going on with this Hebrew church, this community of Christians that the book of Hebrews is written, is written to a group of people that is in a place that they never thought they would be. They're losing their way. They are drifting away from Jesus. And the writer is writing to try to get them back on track. Friends, I must be honest. This is a very sobering passage. It's a very hard passage. But you need to know, because I love you, that I believe it's a very necessary passage for us to talk about tonight. 
It's very necessary because it shows us very vividly the dangers of spiritual drift. Before we dig in, let me pray. We'll get started. Jesus, uh, I need your help tonight. I come weary to this task. I come honestly afraid. I need courage. Um, These are hard words, hard words for me to talk about and hard words for me to hear. And so I pray that you would come and give me boldness, uh, that you would uh, be at work in this place tonight. Everyone that's here tonight, you have brought here for a reason. Um, They are here because this is exactly where they're supposed to be. And so uh, you have a word to teach every single one of us tonight. Lord, I pray that this would challenge us and convict us and change us to the core of who we are and that we would uh, hear this stern warning in scriptures, uh, in your word and in the scriptures. Uh, Would you also show us Jesus tonight? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. In his book, uh, Not Without Hope, Nick Schuyler tells a story about a fishing trip. He shares the grim details in this book about a fishing trip that went bad. You might be familiar. It happened several years ago, but four football players, two of whom played in the NFL, were fishing off the coast of South Florida. Nick Schuyler was one of those that wrote the book. He was one of those guys, and they were on this fishing trip, and a bad storm starts to come in. They realized that they needed to get to shore, And so instead of doing what they should have done, which you always should do, which is to cut the anchor and to cut the line, um, instead they decided to move the anchor to the back of the boat. uh, And, and, you know, as they took off, they were hoping that the anchor would simply just break loose from the boat and they could be on their way. So they moved the anchor to the back of the boat and the anchor did not break loose, but instead the back of the boat weighed down uh, and the back of the boat starts to fill with water, so much so that the boat eventually capsizes, and now all four men are in the water, in 60-degree water, which if you know anything about 60-degree water, it's not very warm. One of the men decides to swim underneath the boat and to grab four life jackets, and so now all four men are clinging to this overturned boat uh, with life jackets on. Uh, the minutes turn to hours, Hours turned to a day, and now these men are literally freezing to death. Schuyler says that as he noticed one of, the, uh, one of his friends, he noticed that his motor function started to shut down. He noticed that one of his friends started to become agitated. And he said he started to realize that they were experiencing hypothermia. It's interesting, Schuyler comments and says, we were football players. We were in the best shape of our lives. We thought we were invincible. But we were no match for hypothermia. What is hypothermia? Well, it is the steady but incremental decrease in the body's core temperature that when it gets to a certain low level begins to tumble almost out of control and will kill you unless you are able to get to some sort of external heating source in order to warm the body's temperature back up. I tell you that story because that's exactly what's going on with this church, the Hebrew church, this community that this author is writing to. 
they are suffering from spiritual hypothermia. In other words, their spiritual lives, they're experiencing a steady but incremental, uh, incremental decrease in their spiritual lives. And the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to help them reverse the effects. But you know as well as I do that he's not just writing to them, is he? If we're honest tonight, he's writing to many of us. Because if we're honest, many of us are experiencing a steady but incremental drop and decrease in our spiritual lives. Some of us have lost our first love. Our love for Jesus has grown cold. Our relationship with him stale. Others, uh, obedience and faith and holiness has become a drag. We are experiencing, in some way, spiritual hypothermia. And so then the question becomes, how do we prevent that? How do we prevent our lives from declining spiritually? Or how do we reverse the effects if it's already happening in our lives? Three ways tonight. We need to pay more careful attention, heed the warning, and thirdly and finally, we need to bask in the sun. Let's look at number one. Pay more careful attention. Look at verse one. Pay more careful, or some of your translations might say much closer. Notice that verse. Notice he doesn't just say pay attention. He says pay more careful or much closer attention. What's the implication? Well, the implication is that the author is saying what you and I might think is adequate attention to our spiritual lives and to our soul and to our heart is simply not enough. We've got to pay more careful attention. Look again. It's easy to miss at verse 1. Notice the author uses we. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say you. He says we. Why do I point that out? Well, oftentimes we have this idea it's just the weak Christians, you know? Just the immature Christians that are struggling with drift. Or just those kind of new Christians or new believers. But if you look at verse 1, he says we. A writer of the Holy Word of God is saying that he too is susceptible to spiritual drift. Friends, no one is immune to drifting. Not pastors, not campus ministers, not RUF interns, not regular churchgoers, not Bible study leaders, not people that have grown up in the church their entire life. No one is immune to drifting. It is that subtle. Look again at verse 1. This is the first of five warnings in the book of Hebrews about the dangers of spiritual drift. And if you look, the author actually uses nautical language, doesn't he? It's found in the word drift, and what it suggests is a ship that has, its anchor has broken loose from the seabed, and it is drifting dangerously out to sea. What are they drifting away from? What are we drifting away from? Verse 1 again says, From what you have heard. He's talking about a message that they have received. What is that message? Look at verse 3 and 4. The message of the gospel. They have 
drifted away from the greatness of our salvation. In other words, spiritual drift is a drift away from Jesus. You know, sadly, often that is one of the characteristics that's given to describe a college student. Drift. Why is that? Well, because in college, you are outed by reality. In other words, when you go off to college, the true anchor of your life is revealed. And unfortunately, we grow up in communities and in families and part of our upbringing, and a lot of this, the scary part, is unintentional. But we grow up in these communities, and they kind of tell us that we need to be putting our anchor in things like our reputation and in our image and in our social status and uh, in material possessions in wealth. And the problem comes when you get to college, when you start dropping your anchor in these different idols in the world, you get to college, your heart is outed by reality. You have to own your faith. It's yours for the first time. You're on your own. You're outed by reality. And if your anchor is not in the right place in Jesus and the gospel then what happens? Well, the currents of the campus and the currents of the culture, they suck you away to places that you never thought you would go. And your spiritual life starts to decline and you start to experience spiritual hypothermia. You know, there's another thing to note about this idea of drifting. And it is this, that it happens largely unnoticed. I mean, think about it. What does a boat have to do to drift? A boat that is not anchored, what does it have to do to drift away? The same thing a person has to do to drift away from Jesus. Absolutely nothing. You see, that's the scary part. It's that it's a passive process. It's not a result of something that you do or a bad decision that you make. It is instead a result of something that you stop doing. Look at the passage. What is it you stop doing? You stop paying attention to your heart. You stop paying attention to your soul. And then slowly but surely, your spiritual life starts to decline. And like the Hebrews, you end up in a place that you never thought you would be. Another classic illustration, which you've all experienced, and we'll experience it again at at, uh, RUF Summer Conference. I remember last year vividly. I'm sitting at the beach. And I'm with my students, and we all go out. The waves are coming in. We're going to ride the waves. And uh, me and some other guys decided to hang back and read. And so we're reading. They go out right in front of us. And I, I read like a page. Well, I look up, and where is everyone? They've drifted like three condos down. And when they come to the beach, they come up to the shore, they can't even find the beach chair. They can't even find their towel. And the scary part of all that is they didn't even know, and you know you've experienced this, you don't even realize that it's happening. You see, the same thing spiritually. We're often clueless that we're being dragged away. And then we look up and we realize, where am I? And that's why the author is screaming at us, not just pay attention, pay much careful attention to our heart and to our spiritual life. But you know, when you think about hypothermia, even though this idea of drifting is subtle, if you think about hypothermia, it does come with some warning signs, doesn't it? 
You ever heard of the umbels? You know, it comes like warning signs that you're experiencing hypothermia. The umbels, you start to mumble because the words don't come out uh, right and your mind doesn't think correctly. Or you start to fumble because your hands don't work right. Or you start to stumble because there's not enough oxygen getting to the muscles of your legs in order to hold you up. The same thing with drifting. It's subtle. But like hypothermia, it does come with some warning signs. And there are tons of warning signs that we could talk about in ways that you can kind of look and say, I might be drifting away from Jesus. I'm going to list three real quickly. The first one is lukewarmness. That's the first warning sign, that you're neither hot nor cold, but simply lukewarm. Have you become so familiar with the Bible? Have you kind of grown up around the Bible that this book does nothing more than lead you to a boring yawn? Have you been around the church and things like RUF so much that you've actually trained yourself and taught yourselves to endure sermons rather than really listen to sermons and hear what God is saying to you and applying it to your own life and actually wrestling with it and being changed? What do you think about when you open up the Bible? Is this just simply another old book to you? If so, you're in trouble. You're drifting. You're experiencing spiritual hypothermia. Another sign is minimizing sin. When you start to say things like this, well, I know the Bible says that. But is that really what it means? I mean, surely it's okay if I do this, or it's okay if I do that. Or God will forgive me. Because he's full of grace. You see, when you start to go down that road and ask those questions, you've already shown your cards. You are drifting spiritually. You're experiencing spiritual hypothermia. Another warning sign might be if you focus on the externals of your life rather than focusing on your heart. You see, we live on a campus where there is this intense pressure to be Mr. and Mrs. Everything, to be in all the right social circles, to make the best grades, to get the best jobs, and to be socially acceptable. And most of the time, and and, and what I fear is that while you might look good on the outside and appear, appear on the outside that things are going well, your heart is really dead on the inside. You see, if you focus more on all this out here rather than the condition of your heart, you've already started to decline. It has already set in. You see, spiritual hypothermia, it's always a drift away from Jesus towards false idols and towards false saviors. And that is why the author is saying it is serious. And you need to ask those questions. What currents are dragging you away right now? What are the currents that are dragging you away from Jesus? What are the things, the warning signs, do you notice them in your life that maybe you are drifting and experiencing spiritual hypothermia? I love this phrase by the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.16, it says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. 
Are you watching your life closely? How are you doing with Jesus? So how do you prevent spiritual hypothermia? How do you reverse its effects? First of all, you pay much closer attention. Secondly, you heed the warning. Look at verses 2 and 3. Let me be clear. The author here is not calling into question assurance of salvation. Did you hear me? The author is not calling into question assurance of salvation. We believe in this ministry that if you are truly a Christian, then you can never be snatched out of God's hand. We believe in eternal security. So I want to make that very clear. What the author is saying, though, is that you can be around the church your whole life You can be in things like RUF, your whole college career, and be involved in tons of religious activities and yet actually be one that neglects the greatness of salvation. Be one that neglects the gospel and neglects Jesus. Notice the warning here. If you look at verses 2 and 3, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. The author is contrasting the revelation that came with Moses on Mount Sinai through the Ten Commandments, with the revelation that came through Jesus Christ. And what he is saying is that if the revelation of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai through Moses, if rejecting those or breaking those brought punishment, how much more if we neglect Jesus? How much more if we neglect the greatness of of the gospel and of our salvation. John Calvin, a theologian um, back in the 16th century, says it this way. He says it's not just the rejecting of the gospel, but it's also the neglecting of the gospel that deserves the severest penalty. Friends, that is the weight of this passage. I had a physical exam this year. I absolutely hate physicals. Hadn't had one in several years because I hate them, and you might be with me on that. They're no fun, but you know as well as I do that physical exams are absolutely necessary for our physical well-being. Why? Well, because they reveal critical things about our health. Well, the same is true spiritually, isn't it? Spiritual exams are never fun, but they're critical because they reveal things about our heart and about our spiritual state. You see, what the author here is doing is trying to get every single one of us to give ourselves tonight a spiritual exam to see whether or not we're truly a Christian, to see whether or not we're truly in the faith. And it's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. It's all throughout the Bible. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says, test yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Unless, of course, you fail the test. So what's the test? Let me me tell you what the test is not. The test is not praying a prayer. The test is not walking an aisle. The test is not even baptism. The test is not signing a commitment card at some point in your life. The test is not even like looking back at a time when you were really doing well spiritually, maybe in high school or middle school, when you kind of had things going well for you spiritually, you know what the test is? How are you doing today with Jesus? 
Are you following Jesus today? Are you sensitive to sin in your life? Or are you saying, ah, uh, whatever. Is it really that big a deal? Are you repentant? Are you sensitive to sin? You see, the interesting thing is the warning in this passage is for the church. It's for those that profess faith in Jesus Christ. It's not, you know, most people look at this passage and say, oh, well, these are, that's for non-believers. And that is for those that have rejected or never heard the gospel. No, the concern is not for those that have rejected the gospel. The concern is for those that ignore the gospel. The concern in this passage is for those that are no longer moved by Jesus, to whom the cross is no longer beautiful to them. The warning in this passage is for the flippant. It's for the apathetic. It's for those that are apathetic towards God who say, no, whatever, I don't really care. Is it really that big a deal? Friends, you see, apathy, it is much more lethal than a flat-out rejection of Jesus. And if you're here tonight and your apathy seems insurmountable, maybe you should ask whether or not you've ever truly been anchored in Jesus at all. You see, the warning here is very clear. Are you listening? You want to know the scary part of this? And as you think about this kind of analogy of hypothermia, it's often hypothermia, uh, you know, when it, it's, it's, when it sets in and when we finally realize it, it's often too late. And I say that because often we hear and, you know, people look at college as this kind of, you know, free pass mentality. And, and that's why it's so dangerous, because we have this mentality of kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go to college. You know, I did great spiritually kind of in high school and everything, but I'm going to go to college, and now this time, it's my time. I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And then at the end of my senior year, or maybe when I graduate that first year of college, then I'm going to kind of grow up and get my life together, and I'm going to come back to Jesus. And my response to that is this question. How do you know you'll come back? You see, you don't. And that's why it is so dangerous to have that mentality and to play with your spiritual life in that way. And that is why the author is so serious here. That's why he's pulling out all the stops. Because he's trying to help you and I to persevere in the Christian life. He's trying to help you and I to finish the race strong in the Christian life. He's trying to shake us out of our complacency. He's trying to shake us out of our slumber. It's almost as if you can kind of see the writer kind of squaring us up and grabbing our shoulders and saying, Wake up! How you doing? How's your spiritual life? How's your relationship with Christ? Are you taking care of your soul in your heart? You see, spiritual hypothermia, how do we reverse the effects? How do we prevent it? Well, we've got to pay more careful attention. Secondly, we've got to heed the warning. We've got to really listen to these warnings. And then thirdly, we bask in the sun. Look at verse 1 again. 
Notice the phrase, pay much closer attention. That is actually made up of one word. And the word means to hold on to or to attach yourself to. What are we to attach ourselves to? Look at verse 1 again. To a message that we've heard. Do you see it? The author is saying that we need to attach ourselves to the message of the gospel. In other words, the remedy for spiritual hypothermia is to wholeheartedly attach ourselves to Jesus. I mean, that's the whole book of Hebrews. If you've read the book of Hebrews, if not, you ought to read it. This week, it is filled with these commands for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. As if to say, when you and I, when we take our eyes off Jesus, what happens? Spiritual fatigue starts to set in. And so the author of Hebrews, time after time, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, holds up Jesus and says, Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than. Let this wash over you. Let me give you an overview of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 1. Jesus is the greatest word that God will ever speak to us. Chapter 3. Jesus is greater than Moses. Because Jesus brings a greater deliverance than Moses. Chapter 4. Jesus is greater than Joshua. Because Jesus brings a greater rest than Joshua. Jesus is the greatest high priest because he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Chapter 6, check this out. Notice the whole drifting language that the author uses. What does he say in verse 6? Jesus is the anchor for our souls. Chapter 7, Jesus is greater than Melchizedek because he saves us completely and he always intercedes for us. Chapter 12, you might be familiar with, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Friends, the whole strategy in the book of Hebrews, the author is trying to recapture our heart. And he's trying to say, Jesus is more beautiful and greater than anything that we could ever think about trading him in for. You see, the four guys that I mentioned earlier that were on the fishing trip, all of them died that day of spiritual hypothermia except, or of hypothermia except one, Schuyler, Nick Schuyler. And he too was experiencing hypothermia. And death was almost certain unless he was able to be rescued and able to get wrapped in some sort of warming blankets and put in front of some external heating source so that his temperature would start to go back up. So you can imagine the excitement as the Coast Guard starts to circle and they finally spot Nick Schuyler down below and they lower the basket. He gets in the basket and when they take him up to the uh, chopper, they wrap him in these warming blankets and he sits there and just basks in the heat and the light of the sun. And, and, he's, and as he basks in the heat and the light of the sun, his body temperature starts to go back up. 
It's exactly what they're doing, the writer's doing here to the book in the book of Hebrews. These people are experiencing spiritual hypothermia. They're in decline spiritually. They're struggling spiritually. And to reverse the effects, the author pushes them in front of Jesus. Pushes them in front of the heat and the light of Jesus and says, don't do anything. Just bask. Bask in who he is and what he's done for you. And I don't know, but when I read the book of Hebrews, that is the most amazing thing to me. Because oftentimes when we're struggling spiritually, we expect this writer to say, get your act together. Straighten up. You know, and I hear that a lot when when I ask people how they're doing spiritually. It'll be this, it'll be, I'm not doing so great. I need to do better. And so you kind of expect that's what he's going to say. But that's not what he says because that's not the gospel. He pushes us and he says, the gospel is about and, and reversing the effects is about the gospel and about Jesus. It's not about moralism. You see, moralism says, do better, try harder, be more disciplined, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The gospel says, and we can't miss this, says that we need to draw near again to Jesus. The gospel says that you can draw near to Jesus in the midst of your shame in the midst of your guilt and doubt and anger and frustration and reluctance and your sorrow and your suffering. The gospel says, and and Jesus says, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you peace, and I will give you rest. You see, our Savior Jesus not only saves younger brothers, younger brothers who have done things and ended up in a place that they never thought they would be. But he also saves older brothers. He also saves self-righteous, pious, know-it-all people that think they're better than everyone else. And you see, when we realize that the solution is the same for both, whether you're a younger brother or an older brother, the solution is to get in front of Jesus and stay there. And when we stay there in front of Jesus, here's what we realize. This is why it's important. Because we realize that Jesus experienced the ultimate spiritual hypothermia. How so? Well, because he went head first into the cold waters of God's justice and wrath for you. And not only that, he went to a cross and he died there. And he actually became sin for us so that you and I could be wrapped in the Father's love. Why would we ever neglect such a wonderful Savior? So how are you doing tonight? Are you experiencing spiritual hypothermia? Is your spiritual life an incremental but steady decline? If so, hear the message of this passage. Pay much closer attention to your life. Heed the warning, and most importantly, get in front of Jesus and bask in the sun. Let's pray.